Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. It's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Please, can you just walk to five people and greet them? Tell the person you have understanding. Your wife does not count to. If it's your wife or your husband, please tell the person congratulations. Congratulate the person that you are very wise and the Lord has given you wisdom. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Let's take our seats. All right. Um, last week, we began to talk about the matter of uh, grace, the true grace encounter. Uh, we are trying to establish some points for the people of God to understand. We have seen that sometimes we, it's easy to misunderstand um, some things in the scriptures. We start having wrong uh, thoughts and wrong ideas concerning what the Lord actually is expecting from us. One of the reasons is because we don't understand the concepts properly. We don't understand the words that the Bible would use. We think we are the ones speaking. Uh, we began to look at the word, what does it mean to believe? I, started, I was reminding us again that, of course, salvation is by grace and it is by faith. And in fact, I think uh, this is, I like to read the Bible a lot. So let's read, um, let's take one portion to read uh, to start today. We'll read that one we read again last time. But well, before we do that, please let me quickly read, uh, because it's open in front of me. I just want to read it and get it over with. I want to read Matthew chapter 28. I'll read from verse 16. Uh, the Bible says that um, the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, He came to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's Matthew chapter 28. I read from, um, that just finished in verse 20 there. Now again, open your Bible to the book of Ephesians. Chapter 2, he said, now, now I'm reading from verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now walking in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the loss of the flesh, formerly, notice that indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, this happened. You have been saved. 
He said, He made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship, Paul explained, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, this is good enough to start today, these two portions we have read. Now, we know that salvation is by faith. Paul explained to us that with the heart, man believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the heart, the, uh, sorry, and with the tongue, the mouth, we confess, that produces salvation. What I began to look at last time is the meaning of the word believe. Because my experience is that people have misunderstood and have misused the word believe. Somebody says he believes, and what he's saying is not what God is saying. In fact, it's interesting. After I preached that, I was listening during the week to Ken Hagen tell his story again of when as a young boy, a teenager, when he was believing God for healing. At the point in time, he challenged God. He challenged the Lord Jesus that if you were to appear in front of me now and say, I do not believe, he said, I will have to respectfully tell you your lying. That's what he said to the Lord in prayer. He was sincere. That as far, look, he said, listen, I believe. I be, you understand? He was believing for healing. When he finished praying, a voice dropped in his ears. He said, you believe as far as you understand. Let me leave it there. I won't say much about more than that. That as far as you understand, you believe. But God was saying to him, in effect... You don't believe. You think you believe. And that's why we have to teach these things, so that people will know what is right. I'm not explaining to people, to believe does not mean to agree. Agreeing does not mean you believe. And James said it clearly. If that was the case, then all the demons would be saved. The devil would be saved. But they, in quotes, believe. James was using the word, borrowing it. He said they believe, but what does it result in? They tremble. It doesn't give them salvation. It does not give them assurance of salvation. So agreeing is not the same as believing. Let me say it again. There is faith that is dead. Faith is a noun, all right, of believing being the verb. There is faith that is dead. Somebody can claim to believe when in actual fact he does not believe. And James said, how do we know the difference? He said the difference is simply looking at the works that's produced. He said there is no other way. that somebody who believes who thinks he believes may be thinking wrongly. We have seen that spiritual things, do you understand, can be misunderstood by the person who possesses, uh, who possesses the trait. For example, you can say you, are a, you, you love the word. And James said you have to prove yourself to be a doer. He said if you are hearer only, you are deceiving yourself. That is, no matter how much you claim you love the word, no matter how much attention you pay to it, no matter how much the amount of time you spend listening to it, if he's not producing actions in you, you are deceived. No matter how much he fills your head, it doesn't matter. It is when he produces actions that you actually are in the word. Until that time, 
you are deceiving yourself. So he said, be a, don't be a hearer only, but a doer of the word. And that's why I explained the difference between faith comes by hearing and hearing. That the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. The way I understand it is that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Two things there. That is, hearing and hearing is one thing. The word of God is another thing. The meaning of hearing and hearing is that there are two different kinds of hearers. There are those who hear and they get information. But there are those who hear. Do you understand? Okay, let me give you a very practical example. We all know the man who's on radio all the time advertising his herbal products. I stumble into the adverts a lot. I listen to the information he gives. But you see, I have, I listen to that information. I've heard it scores of times. But I have never listened to it with the idea of acting upon anything he says. I don't know what I get my point here. If anything, I laugh at it. He will say some symptoms. I start laughing because of my medical training. I said, these are psychosomatic symptoms. These are people that nothing's wrong with them. They show up to you because they think something's wrong with them. And they will get well, even though there's nothing in your herbs. It's called the placebo effect. Are you getting my point? Now, you see, I listen to him. I hear him. Sometimes, there's one particular joker on TV. Calls himself a prophet. Those days, <laughs> I tell my wife, don't put that thing on in this house. My wife said, please now. I said, no. My wife would say, please. I said, what do you want to watch? She says, entertaining. <laughs> to her, they are acting. That if I can tune to a channel where they are doing home movies. I mean, I said, tune to one where a man is claiming to be a prophet. And he's telling them, come out, come out. And they are rolling on the ground. They are rolling on the ground. And he's doing like this. And you know, are you getting all those uh, razzmatazz? My wife says, it's entertaining. <laughs> My wife calls it entertainment. But the man is annoying me now. The point I'm making is this. She would sit down there those days if I didn't object and watch it. What was she looking for? Laughing. She's a hearer of his word, but not a doer. Are you getting my point here? Now, just to give us an extreme. Many times we are like that. We'll hear something. It entertains us. In fact, Ezekiel, at a point in time, God told Ezekiel, don't be impressed that your church is full. Don't be impressed. Ezekiel, time he calls meeting that time, stadium will be packed. Ezekiel will call meeting. Every, the town will be, aha, everybody will come, man, Ezekiel. I like that prophet. He's a real prophet. So Ezekiel's church was full. Anytime he held meetings, everywhere jam-packed. They will block the road. And God called him, Ezekiel, don't be impressed. He said, do you know why? He said, as far as they are concerned, you're an entertainer. You've not read it before your Bible? Let's read it. You know, many people are looking at what are you talking about. When, was Ezekiel, when did Ezekiel start the church? All right, Ezekiel chapter 33. That is interesting. <laughs> Let's read from verse 30. He said, But as for you, son of man, your fellow citizens who talk about you by the walls, and in the doorways of the houses, they speak to one another, each to his brother, saying, Come now, let's go to church. <laughs> Are you saying that? Come now, let's go to church. There's a service going on. Here's an all-night service. Come now, they say, and hear what the message is which comes forth from the Lord. He said, they come to you as people come and sit before you as my people and hear my words. But they do not do them. For they do the lustful desires expressed by their mouth and their hearts go after their gain. Yes, your church is full. God was saying, verse 32. Behold, why is your church full? 
you are to them like a sensuous, like a sensuous song by one who has a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not practice them. So when it comes to pass, as surely it will, then they will know that a prophet has been in their midst. Do you see that? People are going to church. Why? They like the suit of that man of God. They like the way the man stands. When the man stands like this, everything is perfect. When he says, praise the Lord, you know, the, the equipment is well balanced. Oh, you should hear the Twitter. The guy on the keyboard is a professional. Oh, there's praise worship in that church. My God. And what is praise worship? Serious jams. You know, people, there are two ways to dance. You either go to the club Friday night or go to the church Sunday morning. Dance, you shall dance. Whichever one. If I used to recommend churches like that, there was one lady once in my office. Today she will come and complain. This place is paining her. Tomorrow she will come and complain. Leg is paining her. Tomorrow she will come and take leave, sick leave. I need to go for treatment. One day I said, come. Which church do you go to? Say Catholic church. I said, that's the problem. I said, that's the problem. Hey, Pastor Mark, what do you have against Catholic? No, I said, no, that's not about Catholicism. It is about lack of dancing. I said, go to a church where you will boogie down on Sunday morning. I said, look, by the time you boogie for one hour, all these sicknesses will go away. Are you getting my point? When you dance for one hour, all your troubles will stay behind. That's what I told the lady. When I said, listen, all this way, you're always coming to me, take permission for sickness. You don't need that. Change your church. Go to where they, they play. No, what I've told you, nothing spiritual. It's just common sense. You say, is it in the Bible? Yes, in the Bible. A merry heart dwelt good like medicine. Have you not read it before? Yes. You should be solemn sometimes and boogie sometimes. All of them in the presence of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So I told the lady that day, I said, please, find the church where they dance at least one hour on Sunday mornings. All your sicknesses will go away. Now, back to our message. Many people, they go to church only for that reason. That's the bad side. Once the new church comes to town with better equipment, the, church, the pastor is deceived. Ah, praise God, the church is growing. Your church is not growing. It's your equipment that is growing. You know, because some of those days, he said, the people you gather by music will scatter by better music. <laughs> <laughs> they just say, oh boy, have you been to that other church? Man, their praise is bad, man. Next Sunday, everybody don't line up. Half of the that's the half. Majority of them not born again. That was what happened to Ezekiel. A lot of people used to come to Ezekiel. Ezekiel was not even singing and dancing. It was just the way he used to prophesy. Ezekiel, his face was lighting up. Thus says the Lord. All of them say, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it shall come to pass. <laughs> From the east, calamity shall come. They say, my God, calamity is coming. <laughs> At the end of the day, Nobody repents. Nobody repents. And I got one Ezekiel. Say, don't be impressed though. This your church is full of nothing. There's nothing inside the church. Now, so what I'm saying there, so a lot of people think that that means you know, to believe does not mean I agree. To believe does not mean I come to church. To believe does not mean I. Now, listen to this. It doesn't mean I put up my hand one day and I start an altar call. It does not mean I have joined the church. It does not mean I have become a registered member. I have become a worker in the church. That's not what it means to believe. In common English, it might mean that. You say something, I say I believe. It's when I start acting upon what you have spoken. When I start building my life upon your words, that's when I know I really believe. Many people believe lies. 
They believe things that are not true. You tell them Toyota is giving out free Toyota. Click on this website. You click on a link to get free Toyota. Now so life be. <laughs> you know, I look at human beings. You believe some things. I just shake my head. They say, not it, they say, it's a little to lose, much to gain. I said, no, you have lost a lot. You have proved you are, you are gullible. Well, get this a little, you have lost a lot, and you are going to gain nothing. People act on lies. They believe those lies. They'll tell you how to get WhatsApp free without internet. And you click on that link. Ignorance is a bad thing, he will be clicking on all kinds of. You don't want to pay for internet. Why? I, that's why they are cheating you. If anything is too good to be true, believe me, it's most likely not true. You all click on a link, so, and somebody saying, "I've got to my own free one. Get your own." Meanwhile, he sent that before he even was able to get to the page. He said, "Before you can progress, send to all your contacts." And the Mugu sent it to all the contacts, and you are one of the contacts. <laughs> Of the Mugu. And when you click on it, that's how everybody clicks on it. All of them said, I have received my own. And none of them received anything. Trust this guy. I have never clicked on one. It's just my nature. That's what I'm making. What is the sign that they believe? They acted. So believing is just not that I agree. It's that action that I take as a result. And that's why James said, faith without corresponding actions is dead. That is, no matter, no matter the information I have in my head, if it is not producing actions in my life, it's dead. And that kind of faith, James said, cannot save anybody. And last time I began to look at two components. One I looked at extensively, the other one I began and then time ran out of us. And I'm going to continue from that particular point today. So first, the first sign of faith is repentance. Is repentance. Some people say that, look, faith is all that is needed. God didn't ask for repentance. No, that's not true. Like I said the other time, Paul just did not realize he had to be explaining to people. It's like wet and water. You cannot say you have believed except repentance is part of it. Are you getting my point? I recommend a book last time. Let me recommend it again. Nikki Cruz's Run, Baby, Run. In Run, Baby, Run, Nikki Cruz showed how a whole gang, where most of the members of a gang went in to give their lives to Christ. And one by one, they began to draw back. And the Bible says, my soul shall have no pleasure in them. Are you getting my point? They drew back. If anybody puts his hand on the plow and looks back, what happens? He's not worthy of the kingdom. He gave his life to Christ in the crusade last week. doesn't mean anything. He has drawn back. And he's not worthy of the kingdom. It's like the, the, the seed that the, the sower went for to sow. Some sprang up quickly. But persecution came as a result of the word. What happened? They went back. So those who preach the doctrine of once you are saved, you are always saved, it cannot possibly be true. It is not founded on scriptures. It breaks all these things that we are talking about. It breaks the principles. It means that when you put your hand on the plow and you look back, you are worthy of the kingdom. But Jesus said you are not worthy of the kingdom. You are getting my point here. Let's get this clear. Christianity is not anybody who enters. He said, narrow is that way that leads to life. And few are those people that are walking on it. It has not become wide because we find wide roads convenient. It's still narrow. Christianity still makes a demand of people. And when people don't give it what it requires, they are knocked off the list. Nicky Cruz said his, church, his gang members, one by one, and they told him why. Being a Christian is dangerous. 
There's no gang protection. Listen, people, when they give their lives to Christ, a lot of times they come under intense pressure. My friend's father was a millionaire. He gave his life to Christ. The family struggled to eat. Because the occult people told him, how can you survive without us? And God allowed them to squeeze him. They squeezed him. They squeezed him. Squeezed him. Squeezed him tight. Until the family will almost starve. It does not mean he paid for his salvation by himself. No, let's get that clear. It does not mean he paid for the salvation by himself. It means he received his salvation and he was serious about what he received. That's what it means. It means he received his salvation and he was serious about what he received. Because actually he could not have paid. Sin is too costly to pay for. If God takes you and cuts you in pieces while you are alive, the pain is not enough to pay for your sins. Or how much less ordinary hunger. It can't pay for your sins. But Jesus has to ask, are you serious about following me? He asks those questions. He asks questions like that. I've seen it before when I was in school. One of you, I still remember his name, right? What's what that boy's name? Yeah, I remember his name now. I'm only telling you the name. One day he ran to our room. If you see that guy, no, these are, <laughs> these boys are big, you know, bodybuilder, everything, heavy chopper, massive cult boys on campus. One day he ran down to our room. Before that, they had stayed in our room for some time because what happened was that he came to campus during the holidays. He wanted to sit down and read, and they didn't have where to stay. So our, the president of my fellowship then, he took him into our room. So we came to the room one day, saw one large guy on one of our beds. What's going on here? He said, no, the guy just came around, you know. So he'll get up every day to go and read. So one day, results came out. And that day, he ran to the room. You know, when Sashana, hey, where's Pastor Iman? Where's Iman? Where's Iman? Ah, one brother he met was like, what is the problem? What's the problem? He thought there was big trouble. He said, I must give my life to Christ now. Yeah, he did. The guy, ah, that brother that he met, that one said, good. <laughs> this is the kind of thing I like. That one led him to Christ. They prayed together. And for weeks after that, he will follow us to fellowship. Carried the Bible. Wallah was always studying the scriptures. Then his friends came back. And little by little, of course, he had a lot of respect for some of us then because we we're leaders in the fellowship. One day we caught him and one of his dangerous friends on campus about to mess one boy up. We just approached me and my friend Jesus said, Is that not so answer, guy? So we called him. And when he saw us, he piped down. So called the two of them, what's going on? And they tried to explain what happened. Then we, we knew what was going on, but we pretended. And we now use wisdom to settle the matter. The other boy didn't know he was about to get killed. We just rescued him. He didn't know he was dealing with cult boys, but we knew. Make a long story short. This boy went back to the cult. His friend, I don't know what happened to him himself, but I know his friend went to Lagos one day. He said, it's the campus. Lagos Agbero broke his head and killed him. The Lagos boy, the little boy, forget this thing. This is not uniben you did for here. We are the, we invented cultism. When you come to our zone, you learn. You know one learn. They sang something to his head, he died. So next time, you learn. I don't know what happened to my yoga, my guy. You can't walk back to the cult and somebody tells me you were once saved, you are always saved. No. Like I said last time, the only thing that God leaves for people like that is that they can come back. That's the only thing that leaves for people like him. Why? They have not yet experienced anything. If you go and read Hebrews chapter 6, 
Those who he said he doesn't take back, he gave criteria. He said those ones, they have tasted the good word of God. They have experienced the powers of the age to come. That one, there's no doubt. If they turn back now, they are like Adam. They open their eyes and said, I'm not doing it again. And for such people, Jesus said, you can go. Don't come back here. I'm not here to scare anybody. We're just going to get our facts straight. But if you read that book of Hebrews, we are, we are persuaded of better things concerning you. And there's a reason for that. I'll talk about that. The reason is simply because those who really love the Lord, they don't have a problem. The problem is that many people don't really love the Lord. They are looking for security for tomorrow while they enjoy today. That's it. They say eternity is, if you have to have you been alive for 100 million years, you have not even scratched the surface of eternity. They say, ah, let us make sure that one is secure. So what they do is just for that security. So that's why they start believing doctrines on eternal security. And then they start living recklessly. Because they only came for that, the purpose of what? Eternal security. And they are the very people that God rejects. Because he can see their hearts. The people he accepts. And he said, I'm convinced of better things concerning you. There are people who truly love the Lord. There is no faith. There is no believing if there's no repentance. That's one thing we looked at extensively last time. Acts chapter 11. Peter was reporting what happened in the house of Cornelius. He said, if therefore God gave to them the same gift he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus. Who was I to stand in God's way? And when they heard this, listen to this, that is the people he met back home. They quieted down and glorified God saying, well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Can you see that? So for them, faith and repentance went together. You couldn't separate the two. Paul said to King Agrippa in Acts chapter 20, he said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both of those of Damascus first, and also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the regions of Judea, even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. That was what Paul said to Agrippa. So the same Paul who wrote Romans, who taught us about salvation by faith, when he was using the word faith, when he was using the word believe, he expected that your believing is a total one. It's not the agreeing one mentally. It's not that I go to the church of Ezekiel, and I like the way my prophet prophesies. (laughs) You get to my point? But my life is not changed by his prophecies. He said, no. Paul assumes that you are repenting and performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Peter preached the same thing. Jesus himself explained that. And he told us that we are to teach people, all right, that they are to repent and believe in the gospel. That's how he preached his message. It's not just believe. It is repent and believe. So when they use the word believe, the the full believe has repentance inside it. So the man who's a hardened criminal will not tell you I have believed and he continues his criminality. No. I have believed he turns back. To repent means to change your course. To turn away from the way you were going before. To change the path you were traveling on. That's what it means to repent. It's an integral part of believing. You can't separate the two. We looked at that last time extensively. Now, so I'm continuing from that particular point. There's a scripture we read last time which we have read here many times. This is the second part of it. And I wonder, that's why I read that Matthew chapter 28 we read now. That Jesus did not tell us to go and make converts. 
He did not tell us to go and count the number of people who put up their hands and repeated the sinner's prayer. What did he tell us to go and do? Make disciples. He taught us to go and make disciples. I'm not here teaching on evangelism. I'm preaching to those who have received the gospel. What it means for them to believe. One, we have seen that part of his repentance. Number two, when you repent, you have a new course. And it's that course you are chatting that's proof that you're a believer. Are you getting my point here? You know one thing Paul said at a point in time? He said, examine yourselves to be sure you're in the faith. Many people are no longer in the faith. They think they are in. You're getting the point. He said, examine yourselves to be sure you're in the faith. He said, let him that thinks he stands. Take heed, lest he falls. You know, people were, people were saying that uh, if once you're a Christian, your name as Britain cannot be written. You know what? I found out something other the apostle. I don't even know why we never remember that. Why we didn't remember that, that scripture? Paul said, don't brag. People were caught away before you. You can also be caught away. Is that not what he said? Go and read Romans chapter 11. Paul warned people. He said, don't raise shoulder. He said, what should you do? Walk circumspectly. Walk carefully. Make sure you keep trusting. He said, people were caught away before you. And he said, you also can be cut off. I don't know why people don't read that. The Bible makes it clear that we as believers must be serious with our faith. No, read it, please. Read it. Read Romans chapter 11. Read Romans chapter 11. Apostle, why can't we didn't even remember that one to be using to, uh, to talk to people? I just remembered it one day. That was what Paul, uh, that's why Paul narrows it. Those who think they are standing should take heed. Quickly open to it. Romans chapter 11. You know, I just thought about it during the week. I said, oh. <laughs> well, Paul was saying many things, but let me just come in somewhere in the middle. He said, branches were broken off that I may be grafted in. Some people are bragging like that. In verse 20, he says, quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief. But you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but rather do what? Rather do what? Rather do what? Fear. Can you see that? For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. I mentioned it last time. For those who fell, severity. But to you, kindness, how? He said, if you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. If anybody was telling you Christians can never be cut off, I think that should settle it for everybody. Don't you think so? It should. So he said, believers therefore are supposed to walk carefully. They are, to, they are supposed to take their faith seriously. They mustn't joke with it. They shouldn't take the grace of God in vain. That's what I'm talking about, true grace. The encounter with true grace. Satan is always trying to pull people down. What we're explaining is that it is continuing faith that keeps us safe. Please, no, but please throw away that confidence that people are selling. Once a man answers an altar call, his name can never be wiped out. No, the Bible never taught that. You've seen so many scriptures to show that. But again, like I said, it doesn't mean that we cannot relax in our salvation. That's what I'm trying to explain. He said, just keep on loving the Lord. Continue believing. And that's why I'm explaining what it means to believe now. What does it mean to believe? It's not just I agree. He said, narrow is the road that leads to life. We must be careful to continue walking on that road. That's what it means to repent. And then, remember what Jesus said? 
go and make what? Disciples. The second scripture we began to read last time, where we ended it, when I was talking about that, trying to explain the issue of believing, I'm talking about repentance extensively, I just reviewed it now. The second one we began to look at is the issue of looking unto Jesus, who the Bible tells us is the author and the finisher of our faith. But what I want to talk about is that as an extension of the word believe. From that, by John chapter 3, uh, we read in verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man will be lifted up, so that whoever believes in will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world. Let's uh, explain this one. For God thus loved the world. That was so there. He's not talking about the intensity of the love, but he was talking about the demonstration of the love. This was how God loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, not believed at a time, but whoever continues believing in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Bear that in mind. It's a continuing believing that's the issue here. That's what sustains us in eternal life. Now, but back to that verse 14, he said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... How did Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness? We read that from Numbers chapter 21. And he said that when God told Moses to lift up his bronze serpent and set it on the standard in verse 9, he said, if, if anybody who has been beat by the serpent, by a serpent will look up at that bronze serpent on the pole, that fellow will be healed. And then we found out that, reading the Amplified Bible, he said, believing is not just to agree. I'm, I'm going to adapt it now. He said, what does it mean to look? It's not just to take a glance. The Amplified Bible tells us that looking at the serpent means to look attentively, expectantly, with a steady and absorbing gaze. It is setting Jesus in front of you and never putting him anywhere else. It is saying like David, I have set the Lord forever before me and I shall never be moved. That is, my focus will not go anywhere else. I will not focus on any other thing apart from Jesus that is on the cross. That's, what, that's, what, that's the meaning of the word to look here. So how were they supposed to believe in Jesus so that they will in him have eternal life? He says exactly the way those people looked at the serpent in the wilderness. I hope, I hope you're getting the point here. And now, this is my understanding of it. And that's why Jesus said that don't just go and make converts. All right, that is, if you want to do converts, make proper converts. Not people who come to church, but they did not become disciples. He said, go into the world and do what? Make disciples. He talked about baptizing them. Now, let me say something about baptism. Now, please, what I want to say, you can disagree slightly. In fact, I'm not even saying this is the whole truth about it. Now, many people have had discussions about baptism. In fact, today I was listening to a message, and the man of God showed that, you know, the Bible talks about the quantity of water to use in baptism. Have you heard that message? I was a bit surprised. It was quoting from John that, this is John chapter 3, that do you know that the Bible talks about the quantity of water to use in baptism? I rushed there to go and open it to, to go and find out what exactly was saying. And then, <laughs> should I read it for you? It's interesting if you want to go and argue whether you can use a spoon of water, whether you can use this one. Read in verse 22. John chapter 3. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea. And there he was spending time with them and baptizing. 
John was also baptizing in Aeon near Salim. What's the next line? Because there was much water there. <laughs> Did you catch that? Is this morning ahead at all? I said, where? I wanted to hear how many gallons. <laughs> and the man of God quoted the scripture. If I didn't, he didn't read it too. He just said that he was trying to challenge people to read their Bibles. How many of you know John 3.16? Everybody in the church put up their hands. So how many people know what's in verse 22? He said, do you know the Bible tells the quantity of water to use for baptism? So I rushed to my Bible, opened it, and quickly read it. And found out that he said, there was much water there. Apparently, Jesus couldn't do it with his spoon. And then Ethiopian eunuch, remember, he said, what stops me from being baptized? What's the next line? Seeing that we're in the midst of many waters. He didn't dip his hand in his pocket and say, I brought water to drink on the road. Use this one. I said, okay. Now, please, I'm not talking, preaching on baptism. I'm telling you what I heard this morning. Now, but I want to say something about baptism, which, um, like I said, is not the whole truth about it, just a bit of it. I want to talk about the significance of it. I believe that, like I said, please, you can just use it the way it applies, how you want to understand it. I believe that it's not just about the water, okay? I believe it's more about the public demonstration of a change of life. You're getting what I'm trying to say here. Because you see, baptism was going on before Jesus came. Yeah, who began baptism? John. So John would preach to people, repent. And they would demand of them, the first act to show you have repented is that we dip you inside the water. Now, how did, that, how did that start? I don't know where it began from. The earliest thing I can think about is Naaman. Do you understand? Who went into the waters to go and have his leprosy cleansed? Now, for me, that is the earliest experience I know from scriptures of people being dipped inside something. And if you remember in Naaman's case, it was humiliation. You understand? He said, go and dip in the Jordan seven times. And the man was angry that, ah, don't I have better rivers in, in, in Syria, where I came from, so me to man be dipping inside this, uh, this dirty Israeli Jordan. Now, the point I'm making is that, you see, if you see what, there was something that people did to, as a public demonstration of the fact that life has changed now. I'm not the person I used to be. I have forsaken my former ways, and I'm not going in a different way. Now, what am I talking about? So Jesus said, this is what I wanted to do. Go and make disciples. My emphasis for today's message is on that disciple matter. That is, I am convinced, therefore, if nobody is a believer except is a disciple. You are not a believer except you are a disciple. Listen, how do you walk on a road in Christianity? You know what he said? He said, take my yoke upon you. He said, come on to me, all you who are what? Who labor? And I have a lady. And I will give you what? Rest. He said, take my yoke upon you. Now, this, what this is the point about it? Now, you, are, you labor and you have a heavy load on your head. He now says, come, I will give you what? I will give you rest. He said, how do you get my rest? You take my yoke. I don't just remove your yoke. I only replace it. I don't know whether you're getting the point. People think that Jesus just removes yokes. He doesn't just remove the yoke. He replaces the yoke. What he says, my own yoke is what? Easy. And my burden is light. Important point in life, you must be yoked. Yes. 
In this life, you must have yoke. You can't help it. You can't help it. In this life, your neck is made for a yoke. Your neck is made for a yoke. It is whose yoke you carry that is the issue. That, that you will not have a yoke, forget it. Once your neck is empty, devil will hang something on it. He will. He will. Listen to me. He will. I like one thing um, Ben Carson said in one of his books. can't remember which one. I've read a number of them. But it's either in gifted hands or big picture or take that risk, one of those books. But he says something. That one of the problems they have in their societies is that you find young men who say, nobody should tell me what to do. Nobody should tell me how to live my life. So for that reason, nobody's allowed to tell them what to do. They live their lives the way they like it. He said, what happens to them? They end up in a place where they are told when to wake up, when to sleep. Are you getting my point? When to enter the bathroom. Of course, you know where that place is. Prison. Now, what's the point I'm making here? So Ben Carson said that. People say, don't tell me how to live my life and all of that. At the end of the day, the same people who talk like that, what happens to them? They end up where every part of their lives is controlled. What they wear is controlled. It's given to them. They can't choose it. They give them where to sleep, when to sleep there, when to get up. Because life, eventually, something must control you. That's just the way it is. It's who will control you that you're allowed to choose. Like I preached in Makodi a few weeks ago, I said, listen, everybody's meant to, made for worship. You must worship. Worship is like breathing. It's like eating. You can't say you are angry, you will not eat. You can say that too. I'm not saying you can't say it. It's the consequences die. You die after a while. You can't say I'm so angry with the whole world, I will not drink water. Even Fela said it. Water. You don't get any me. Are you getting my point here? That's it. In the same manner, worship is like that. When God fashioned us, the way he made us to have water in our body, we need to contact water all the time. In the same manner, we are made to worship. If you don't worship the true God, you will worship a false one. That's a matter of fact. If you don't worship the true God, you will worship a false one. What am I going to say? Jesus does not remove yokes. He exchanges them. Take my yoke upon you was what he promised people would give them rest. He did not tell anybody, I'll remove your yoke and you will go free. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. What does it mean? Your yoke is too heavy for you. Come, let me exchange the yoke you have currently with my own yoke. And I said, why should you take that? Let's explain the deal. My yoke is what? Easy. And my burden is? That means Jesus has a burden. Jesus has a yoke. Jesus set people free to serve him. He never set anybody free to go free. I don't know what I get my point. Freedom is being in Christ and serving the Lord. You know why you are not safe outside? <laughs> the guy who controls outside is crafty. Craftiness is his nature. From the beginning, look, listen. The only defense against Satan is being in Christ Jesus. Listen, just by age alone, you can't match that guy when it comes to experience. You can't. People say, when you want to die with the devil, what do you do? Very, very stupid advice. Because no matter how long you think your spoon is, the guy has calculated the distance. He knows how to cross that distance. What I can tell you is that when you want to dine with the devil, forget the appointment. 
don't go at all. If you must see the devil, carry Jesus with you and stay behind Jesus. And come to give him the word of God. Are you getting my point? You don't dine with the devil at all. Long or short spoon, irrelevant. The guy is too crafty. And that is why if you don't have a yoke on your, a yoke on your neck, he will hang his own. And you know what? When he's hanging it, eh, you will think there's nothing going on. So don't forget that you, you need to be free. You need to be totally free. What's on your neck? Remove it, Joe. Remove everything. You check your neck, everything is free. Before, well, you are going free. And I say, let me hold this thing. You hold on small. All right. If you can hold it for me for five kilometers, I'll give you a million dollars. You don't check and say, oh, five kilometers, hold this thing, a million dollars. Not bad. Then after a while, 15 meters to the end, the, thing the guy, he has tricked you. The thing starts falling down. He said, just hang it on your shoulder. Don't worry. Just 15 meters to go. As soon as you put it on your shoulder, the thing will wrap around your neck and lock. That's the end. Your neck is hanging down. Say so five kilometers, you said, where's my I Give you one million dollars. Remove your yoke. Ah, the thing, I forgot the lock. The key to the padlock is in the house. See, a smart guy, he will hang his yoke on anybody's neck who does not have the yoke of Jesus on it. You're not wise enough to avoid him. That's the point I'm making. Now, my emphasis is this. That's not, even about, that's not my emphasis. My emphasis is on the fact that Jesus has a yoke. He has a burden. The only thing he says is that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Next point. He said, take my yoke upon you. I jumped a line and learn of me. That's the line I deliberately jumped. Just to explain this, I, I, I didn't want to come back to it. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And I said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My emphasis is, how do you take the yoke of Jesus? That's the point I'm making. You see the word and in Greek. It is not always an addition. Many times it's an explanation. Having read all of that, this is my understanding of it. That and there stands for showing us the explanation for how to take the yoke of Jesus on our neck. He said, take my yoke upon you. How do you do it? By learning. That is, when Mary will sit at the feet of Jesus, and she will be listening to his words, what is she doing? She's hanging the yoke of Jesus on her neck. And that's why Jesus said to them, go into all the world and make what? Disciples. What are disciples? People are always learning. The sign of true faith, that's what I'm explaining here, genuine believing, when a man, when a woman says, I have believed, instantly the fellow is a convert to learning the words of the Lord Jesus. Listen to me. If anybody who claims to have given his or her life to Christ doesn't do that, trust me, in a few days the fellow is totally backsliding and is back to square one. The guy needs to hear the gospel again. 